well, this is exciting. We're finally doing it. It's happening. We did it once before, but there were some audio problems. And like two years later, here we are again. Two years ago. <laughs> Time has no meaning. It's fine. I believe that happened in college. Like we did it once and it was kind of, and then we did it two years later and it was much better. So. Promiscuity is nothing more than traveling. There's more than one way to see the world. <laughs> yeah. I'm used to, I'm used to this. <laughs> Amazing. Everyone, that is our favorite. Tracy Livesey is joining us today. We are so excited because it's a long time coming. I am so excited to be here. Well, so we should do it up proper, Jen. Sure. Welcome to Faded Mates, everyone. I'm Jen Prokop. I'm a romance reader and critic. And I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I read them. And Tracy is one of our very favorite people. And she has written one of our very favorite romances of the year, I would say. I would absolutely say that. I have no problem saying that. I'll say it again. <laughs> Go ahead. Like Lovers Do is one of my favorite romance novels of the year. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I Fun fact, during... So the best thing about a pandemic... And there aren't that many good things about a pandemic. But the best thing about a pandemic is that uh, we are getting to do, romance is really getting to do a lot of events. There's something for everyone all the time. Our good friend Linda, who, friend of the pod, is uh, keeping a calendar. It's great. Of all the romance events. We will link to it in show notes. If you are a romance aficionado and you would like to spend more of your evenings watching delightful people talk about kissing books, you should follow this calendar that uh, Linda's created in Google Calendars. And it literally tells you everything that's going on every day. And one day I opened it and I imported it into my phone. And it was like the entire phone turned orange because that was the color of the calendar. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's not going to work for me. And I had to delete it from my phone but because it is comprehensive and fabulous i thought what you were gonna say is that you realized that you had an event that you had forgotten that you were the star of no but do you know this morning i i had a like a nightmare about that that like i was supposed to be somewhere and i just hadn't logged on this is like anxiety in in 2020 okay everyone but sarah should listen to this sometimes when we have to do things together i will very casually text her earlier in the day. Hey, are we still on with Tracy today at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central? That's not nice. I have only slept through one thing we have ever had to do. (laughs) One time we we were supposed to, and it wasn't the actual official thing. It was the, thank God, it was like the test run for an event that we were doing with Aaron and Clayton from Learning the Tropes. And I literally was asleep. Oh, yeah. I was texting her. I was texting Eric. I was like, I was like her mom. I was like, I swear, she's usually so responsible. (laughs) Anyway, but what I was going to say is that Tracy and I have done a couple of events together recently. We have. Sarah has been so great. Oh, stop it. You have been so great. So I am very excited about you being here today to talk about are a trope that that we we talk about a lot here on Faded Mates because it's not one that I really love. Interesting. But it is one you do very well. And so we're going to talk yeah. about it because I really loved your book. No, I love this book. Thank you. We're going to talk about Friends to Lovers, you guys. Tracy Yay. figured out how to make me into it. <laughs> <laughs> again, something else I heard in college, but, uh, you know, again. Far is too far. How much is enough? Tracy, your college years sound very interesting. It's like a separate episode. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but also I feel like we should tell everybody what we what we did last night, Tracy. Since this is this will (laughs) run. Another thing you heard in college. Um, <laughs> this is the last week uh, we released our fate, our Fifty Shades of Grey episode, which I loved. Oh, loved. thank you. Well, thank yes. you very much. And it was really good. Last night, yesterday in the afternoon, you were like, 
hey, what if we watch Fifty Shades of Grey in honor of the new Faded Mates episode? So we did with all the other writers, almost all the other writers from the Rita writer's room, because Tracy was in the Rita writer's room um, when we wrote the ceremony for the final, the last ever Rita Awards. Congratulations yes. us for yes. you know, ruining Yay. it for everyone. Well, well, you know, we went out with the bang. I mean, what were you going to do? <laughs> um, and so it was what? It was you and me and Nisha Sharma and Alexis Daria. And, 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 Andy. and Andy Christopher. And Andy Christopher. You, and Sarah was this, Sarah was like, you can come. We're starting at 9 Eastern. And then she like laughed because she knew that I would be like passed out in my bed. But <laughs> I, I did think about it. And then I woke up this morning and was like, God, I have such FOMO. Like, I really wished I would have stayed up. It was up in... real fun. Oh, it I'm was sure. so much fun. And when I, Tracy yeah. owned this movie before last mm. night. Now we oh, all own it. <laughs> yes. I, I own all three in the unrated versions. Like, I, yes, unrated. I was yes. so, I had never watched it before. I was so shocked. There was so much well, body. Source, yes. Source <laughs> yes, material. Yes. There's a lot of banging in that book. I there mean, there's really got to be, right? There's, like, we see Dakota's kitty. Everything. A lot. Really? Every, yes. We okay. do not Maybe see Jamie Dornan's anything. And I, of course, and, yes, and I pointed out that it, no, in in uh, the second and third movies, you see a lot more of him. And what's interesting is that the director of the first movie was a woman, and a director of the second and third movies was a man. Hmm. And um, I often felt though that with the female director, that her that her showing Dakota's body the way she did was more loving. I didn't feel Mm -hmm. like she was, you know, just doing it for, you know, the cheap thrills that she was lovingly showing this woman's body and her sexuality and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that was key to what she was doing. Well, I'm so interested then in the second and third, uh, because I, they're directed by the same guy who made house of cards, the, uh, Netflix show with Kevin Spacey. Yeah. For second and, and third, it, could you maybe just schedule those for a weekend? <laughs> Please and thank you. Are you going to watch the first one to catch up? I Yes, I'm scheduling it. I'm penciling it in right now. Well, I'm going to warn you right now. You have you have to buy them. Yeah, I, that's what I think stopped me last night. I was like, motherfucker, kidding me? Yes. See, you can rent it theatrical, but they make you buy the unrated version. Well, but, why even live if you're not going to watch the unrated true. version? That's what I say. That's what yes, I say. Exactly. Me to the whole world is if you are watching Fifty Shades for the first time and you don't have Nisha Sharma on your texts, you are really missing out. Well, I'm going to tell her. I'm going to be like, we're rewatching. I'm going to you know, texting her right You really now. should. She'll watch it with you. She owns. Uh, she has T-shirts from Midnight Openings. So I'm just saying she's, yeah, she's a, a person to hang with. Tr- yeah, she was less. a true fan. Like she <laughs> and I were I like. It. We were standing. We were standing. It was really, it was really yeah. fun. Yeah. Um. But you know, Adrian has been on here on this episode, on this this podcast to talk about trauma before, and there were definitely moments where I was like, oh no, when Adriana gets to this part, she was about five minutes behind us, and she, she has a disappoint. lot to say. She did not disappoint. No, it was pretty serious. Tra- Adriana is today writing a strongly worded letter, I think, to just Hollywood in general. So what you're telling me is now everyone has FOMO from the entire experience. Yeah, it was very fun. In fact, I sort of wish that there were, I wish there were a way to turn the whole thing into a podcast because it was very fun. Me um, right but- now clicking buy HD for $13.99 goddamn cents, 50 wait, Shades wait, of Grey unrated. Set. No, there's a box. You can get the unrated box set. <laughs> In just, video, just which I did it. not do last night because it never occurred to me. <gasps> okay, oh, I'm about to. No, you sh- You know what, too? Oh, when yeah. you buy the unrated version, they have the extras, and there was like a oh. five-minute interview with E.L. James, and it made me think about your podcast when you were like asking these questions of her and wondering certain things. Oh. And I think she touched on it briefly 
in mm. that interview. Okay. Is it only? Is it okay? <laughs> Jen's like, do I? Have? I know. I'm like, what is my life Amazon, right now? Amazon, where's my affiliate <laughs> link? Jen. I'm selling. I'm selling it's, this movie. Yeah. 2020. <laughs> yeah, right. I just want to live. You know, everybody. I will Fine. say this. Okay, Jen. First yes. of all, you know the contract negotiation in 50. We will get to friends to lovers with Tracy Livesey, <laughs> yes. everybody. But I mean, we clearly have a lot of things to say here. Fifty you Shades. You know the contract her. negotiation in uh-huh. Fifty Shades. You know how it's all done over like email and then they do it like when do they actually negotiate the contract in the book i can't even remember but like it's when she's like crossing things off in the movie she goes to his office and they have an actual business meeting yes it is in a dimly red lit Amazing. Very red office you yes. guys, it I don't think you can get the box set streaming. I think you have to buy them individually. You can only get the box set on Blu-ray. Oh boy. Well, oh. Well, well, I can't have that in my house. Here. Well. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, this what? is your husband must know my husband. They must be related. <laughs> yeah, you guys. Sometimes yeah, I meet people no. who are like, Yeah, my husband and I share an Amazon account or like my significant other. I'm like, no. what? <laughs> that is a level of trust that I bless. Um, no, but the there is a scene for everybody. If you have not watched the Fifty Shades movie, like it's 2020. It's a nightmare out there. This is not a nightmare. It's very amusing at best, right? Like it's yes. it's really a fun experience. But this com this this boardroom like negotiation is so well done. Dakota uh Johnson just carries the whole thing and it's great. That's amazing. I'm excited fan. for it. I did not know Jamie Dornan was Irish. Yes. Yes. Which I learned last night in text. And when from, he from uses Tracy. his accent. Uh, mm-hmm. No, I think Alexis pointed out first. But uh, he does have a leprechaun head. So well, it makes see, sense. see, look, look. This first <laughs> movie, he is not at his best, okay? Right. I got but you. in two and three, this All is right. what I'm saying. We see more of him. He buffs <laughs> up. He gets the <laughs> scruff. It's like I he mean, saw the tape. And he was like, oh, I got He's like, I, I like got to bring it. <laughs> Well, this is good because I have no intention of reading books two and three, so this will be like the Cliff Notes version for. Oh yeah, for me. Jen. So don't yeah. read the don't read the like um, don't read the the Wikipedia plot summaries or anything because you are <laughs> going to be very surprised by what goes on in two and three. Okay, I'm like looking forward to it. It's going to be exciting. And the movies are all written by E.L. James's husband. Yes, which feels they probably like... share an Amazon account. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Look, keep it in the family. That money, keep I mean, it that in the money family. is going around. That's right. Going around, around. That's that right. and Beyonce. Beyonce was like, I'm going to charge you half a budget. Also, I'm getting points for this movie I'm writing music for. Deserved. <laughs> Deserved. I'm telling you, that remix of Crazy in Love is hot. Yeah, it's great. All right. So, yeah, there were definitely some things I enjoyed. Everyone stay tuned for the recap of maybe we should have what we'll do. We've been meaning to have Nisha on. So what we'll do is we'll have Nisha on to talk about the next one. And then maybe we'll have Adriani (laughs) to talk about the last one. We'll just plan them that way. (laughs) So we'll have check-ins. Yes. That works. Okay. So now that we've put 50 to bed. (laughs) Have we uh, for now yeah um what let's talk about okay so let's jen why don't we talk about like lovers do for a little while we'll embarrass tracy for a bit Uh, oh can we listen to us fawn about it and then we'll talk about friends to lovers okay so actually wait i think we should ask tracy to start off talking about the friends to lovers trope Oh, all right, fine. Oh. Don't yeah. do it my way. I don't want to do it your way. I want to let Tracy be the star for a little bit, and then we can talk about the oh, book. God. So, Tracy, just talk about, like, is Friends to Lovers a favorite of yours? Actually, it is not. <laughs> it's well, that's not. what I'm really always curious about, and I'm, I'm afraid we're going to forget. So I want, like, so why, so, like, when you as an author tackle a trope that isn't a favorite or one that maybe doesn't work for you, is that because it's this is just the story or it's a challenge like t- t- tell me about that yeah like um 
my favorite trope is marriage of convenience and now kind of fake relationship. And so if you let me loose, that (laughs) is what I would write. I would just write different variations of that trope. And I was told early on that I could not do that. Um, so now you, you you snuck a little fake relationship in here though. I did. I did. I did. (laughs) Wait, who told you you couldn't just write fake relationships over and over again? <laughs> Monster. I'm writing a letter. I'm writing a strongly worded letter. <laughs> but um, now sort of when I'm writing or when I write a trope, it is dictated by the characters. So that's sort of how I start the book. So with this book, I knew that Nick was going to be my heroine. I knew who she was as a character. I knew how strong she was. And so... I needed to find a hero that would work with her. I needed to find a hero that was going to be supportive of her. I knew that she was not going to change who she was to fit with who the hero was. And so that sort of dictated a certain type of hero. And then that dictated the trope because she's not going to meet somebody and like two to three weeks later, they're in love and something's happening. I mean, if she's attracted to him, she would just fuck him and and move on. Right. But for someone, (laughs) someone to sort of get to her and get beneath her shell, she would have, would have had to have opened up to that person. And so that sort of dictated where the story would go. Thank you, Sarah, for indulging me in this question. For humoring you. Yes. <laughs> but I think the thing that like makes so much sense to me because Nick is so, so she's going to be this like big deal surgeon yes. and she's about to roll off her residency and into this like one year, um, like kind of special fellowship. Okay. And I think the thing that is fascinating is she is such a, um, so focused on those goals for herself that have that are really rooted not just in like academic prowess or success or being the smartest doctor in the room, but really rooted in her identity as someone who is going to like take care of her mother the way her mother took care of her. And it's really fascinating then to see like, of course, this isn't a woman who is going to let anybody in. Right. Right. And so her relationship with Ben, who is her landlord, is one that she is really comfortable with him as a friend because she is never going to let him out of the friend zone. And she, in fact, is on her way from Baltimore to, you know, Durham, North Carolina to go to Duke, like within a couple weeks. And so and she's like, you know, it's no big deal. That's what she was doing. That's what she was going to do. There was no reason to think that. She wasn't going to leave him and she was going to miss him. And I'm sure if there was, you know, they would have exchanged emails or text and, you know, in her head, that's how it would have continued. But she was going to to Duke and Durham. Like there's no question that that wasn't going to happen. So I think the thing that then is really interesting to me about friends to lovers is more so than I think any other trope. You have to really sell the catalyst for the change, Mm. right? Like, what is it that is going to change these folks from being friends to lovers? And it's got to be something pretty dramatic that's going to, like, put them both in a different position. And so for her, it's both this threat of her, like, losing this fellowship at work because of a racist young intern, but also... um, Ben's then relationships with his old friends. And I think it's just brilliantly done. I really do. Well, I think also you can't discount with friends to lovers, the kind of promise of the premise, which is at some point when they actually become lovers, it has to be a shock to them. Yeah. It has to be as much of a surprise to them as it is to the readers. Because otherwise it's unrequited. Which is a different kind of thing. And I know that, um, I know what books everybody's going to talk about today. And I know Tracy's going to talk about an unrequited Friends to Lovers book. And the reality is, is like, that is a different kind of Friends to Lovers book. And the only other way that it works for me. But Tracy, what she does so well is like, the moment that these two have, like, actually like connect sexually they're both kind of like whoa Whoa. which is the joy of it yeah like 
that is like I love that. I love that it sort of goes from zero to sixty because it can, right? Because there's a trust or an intimacy already between them. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes it's setting. And I know that sounds so basic, but I feel like what are, you know, what are the ways that you can really change people? And it's like you pluck them out of their comfortable, entrenched situation where they react to each other in predictable ways. And then you move them, right? Yes. And you put them with new people. And all of a sudden, everything is different. And I feel like that's the thing that really works. This is... if somebody was like, show me friends to lovers, I feel like this book, it it's so perfectly done. It is every picture perfect at every step of the way. Well, because when just to, to piggyback on that, Jen, the when they get to Martha's Vineyard and they're on this kind of vacation, this sort of like it's vacation. Right. So there's also that sort of lushness. Yeah. But also you know, she starts to suddenly Nick is able to see like a whole new, like, like, yeah, a lot of Ben is opened up to her. Right. And she's kind of like, oh, this is a totally different side of you that I've never seen before. And then it's sort of them against the world, too, out there. But it's also really important. Um, Tracy, I'm sorry. I know you want to talk about your no, own book. but No, um, go, please. Hello. No, no, we're just going to talk we're about it. We're just going to talk about it. <laughs> the thing, though, though, that I think, too, that is amazing is Ben, he, is, he likes Nick. They are friends. They are best friends. But he has always been so wary of her, her professional hunger <laughs> because it, it, it seems to be similar to something that... He, the way his parents are, the way they raised mm-hmm. him, that was so harmful to him. And so it's... Well, which is why it's so surprising when they yes, work. It's like, yes. right? it really is, oh, it's so good. It's just so good. Just to underscore this for writers out there, for people who are like, I don't understand. This is how it should work. This is not how Friends to Lovers works most of the time. Right. In in print. Like, the, what Tracy has done is created these two characters who are so perfectly matched as friends, but who really legitimately believe, like, the idea of them of them being, like, married someday or spending the rest of their life together, right? Like, the idea of happily ever after for them is, it seems Im- implausible to both of them for their own individual reasons. Right. And so they're just, like, they're happily ever after on page one of this book is, like, we're going to be best friends. Yeah. And that is not, that is a thing that, like, is very difficult. That is a a delicate balance of characterization and, like, actual real hard character work that doesn't happen in a lot of books that are about two friends becoming lovers. Can I, can I add one more thing? Because I, I just had a theory. I have a theory. I literally just thought of this. I, I think... When you have friends, when friends to lovers works perfectly, I feel like the reader becomes like, you know, and it's funny because I say I don't often insert myself into a story, but I feel like in a really good friends to lovers, you as the reader kind of play the role of the like nervous friend in their friend group who is like, yeah, but if you two get together and fuck Uh. this all up. Uh. Right. And so I think the other thing that's fascinating is how much we like and understand both of them and like and and really completely are sympathetic to how wary and scared and afraid they both are and I feel like there's something that really works differently on you as a reader because you're really like I understand that you two could make it work but I also see all of the pitfalls and you do too and are you going to do it anyway yeah yeah that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> well, you did it. It's amazing. I mean, so, Tracy, have you ever written Friends to Lovers before? No, I haven't. And okay. this was this was hard for me. I mean, aside from all of the sort of the other stuff that was going on, it was very challenging for me to write um, this Friends to Lovers. Ben was a different type of hero for me. Um, I definitely was sort of love alpha heroes and not assholes, but definitely a sort of strong, assertive type of guy. And I wanted Ben to have that, but I also knew that that was not going to work with Nick, that she needed, 
you know, a different type of man. I wanted a man who was going to take care of her, but didn't have to take care of her. Like Nick will be fine. If Nick right. never got with Ben, she would live her life. She would be fine. She, she would be more than fine. She would be fucking amazing, right? She's going right. to kill it at her job. She's a great friend. Like she was going to be okay, but I wanted a hero that would take care of her, that would nurture her, um, and still have his own life and still do his own thing. And it, it was really, um, difficult to get, I, I don't think I got Ben on my first draft. He came in revisions. Well, also because there's there's something really interesting about this series, right? Which is so the series is called the Girls Trip series and the conceit. Tell everybody about the the genesis of the idea. So the Girls Trip series is based around uh, four friends who met in their first year of college and became best friends and stayed friends the entire four years, and then afterwards they impulsively go on this sort of vacation together and have such a great time that they end up making it an annual event. And it's based on my own, um, girl group of this group of uh, women that I met my first year in college. We all lived in the same dorm and the same thing happened. We ended up going away, um, together a few years after we graduated and had such a good time that we made it an annual trip. And so the idea of the series is that, uh, each book would start with a chapter of the friends on vacation. So you sort of get to know them and see their connection. And then each woman would, of course, go back to her life and have her story. Yeah, I love that. And so I, what I love so much about it is this idea that friendship, I think often when we see friendship in romance novels, we see there the heroine has you know, a friend or has a group of friends and that is, you know, and they're all women or they're, you know, or the hero has a group of friends and they're all men. And I think what's so great about this book is that you frame the whole thing with this long time devoted, loyal women's group of women who love each other. And then you also give the heroine, you give Nick this really great other friend who. So I, what I love about it is it feels so authentic. It feels like here are real people who have many, many different avenues to happiness. And I really think that's so beautiful and it's so rare. I'm going to maybe add one thing and then Tracy, if we don't want to talk about this, Eric can cut it. Um, <laughs> there's another thing I thought that was really great about this book, which is that it's like an inner, it's an interracial romance, right? Ben's right. And I'm in an interracial relationship. And one of the things that, like, we talk about representation mattering a lot. Like, in romances where it's an interracial relationship and people just, like, automatically understand the other person, <laughs> I'm always like, hey, listen, that's not how it worked for me. I was a real fucking dummy. And I've done years, now decades, of work, right, right to be a good partner. Right. And one of the things that I really felt so seen in this book was like Ben like really like here it was he thought he was Nick's friend and now that they are lovers he has to understand her like things she faces in a totally different way and that I thought I just I just felt really seen like it was one of the I, I, so I wanted to personally also say thank you because it's not often that I feel like um, that happens in books. It's just like really easy. And I'm always like, you guys, that part's a lot of fucking work. And, 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 and so I just, I don't know. I don't, like I said, Eric can cut that if you're not comfortable with it, but I wanted to say that. No, totally comfortable. Totally comfortable. Don't, don't cut it. Don't cut Eric. Um, <laughs> but it, it was important to me to like, people have talked about the whole Tinsley and they think about it as, as just sort of the evil ex and she does more. It's not even it's really more. about her, which is the reason why her part of it kind of ends early because she's not the main conflict. She's what gets them together and she's what gets them there, but she's not their issue. She is never an issue. There's never, I hope no one ever thinks 
that right. she has a chance with Ben because she doesn't. She's the only <laughs> one delusional to think that she has a chance with Ben. But, you know, a lot of um, people talk about interracial romance and this idea that, well, if it's an interracial romance, there has to be stuff about race in it. And usually it's, you know, like, um, how can you two possibly, you know, be together because you're so different? And, you know, and as I've said before, like, the whole point of diversity and romance is that they're different voices. And so people who have had that experience and want to write that experience because that's the experience they want to be, they want to have seen that's for the, for them to write. That was not the experience that I had with my husband. I am in an interracial relationship. My husband and I have been together for over 20 years. Um, and so, but that wasn't the experience that we had, but we do have the experience of him having to understand that, Right. Some of the stuff is not always overt or there are s- certain things that people say that totally go over his head. Like I actually ran that by him, the whole mm. sort of thing that Tinsley said. And I said, do you get it? And he and I used what he said um I think with Palmer, where he was like, wasn't that an SNL skit? Like, right, like wasn't trying that? to figure it yeah, out. And yeah. He was like, wasn't. And I was like, uh, I was like, okay, so this makes sense. You would not get this. And he was like, yeah. absolutely not. And I said, okay, that's perfect. Because I've had some readers say, well, I don't, why didn't they Ben still don't get, get it? it. They yeah. said, why didn't Ben, why, I'm, I, why didn't he get it? And I'm like, cause that's just not, you know, it's not yeah. in his, his, his experience. Why right. would he? know that or get that that's totally not who he was um but the fact that he knew her well enough to know that it had bothered her and then did the work to figure out what it was that's what I wanted to show I think the other part I really liked about it then is that it wasn't just like I'm learning this to learn Nicole I'm like to learn Nick but then he took he realized like oh when I had that meeting with this um I think a professional athlete and I was really dismissive of his concerns that was on me and so I also liked that it showed that Ben was not just going to apply it to his personal relationship but was going to apply it to like the world and his life and and that like I said I I personally felt really seen in that part of the book and just felt like this was like a book that really took the work of being in an, inter- in an interracial relationship, like really seriously. And maybe it's just like a, a token of the kinds of things that the work that Ben's going to do for a long time, but right. I thought it was great. So I just wanted to like talk about that really explicitly because it's hard to do in a couple of tweets or in a Goodreads review, but it really is another reason I thought this book was so brilliant because it, it felt so real. And so deft, like so, so authentic and yes. And, but, and also just in a sense that where it just sort of all, it all works so beautifully. And then on top of it, there is this layer of, or maybe it's not on top of it, beneath it, I think, is this layer of using all of those moments to really underscore this immense trust that they have in each other. Yeah. Yeah. That is so rare and so important in a in a happily ever after. Um and I think in this particular case like some in some ways more important this trust. Yeah. And the the authenticity of it. And then also there's hammock sex. Nick oh. <laughs> Sex. We're gonna link to Laquette's no. review where she calls him a backbreaker in bed, and I was literally like, "Thank you, thank you." Yes. I sort of regret it that I have been in hammocks before <laughs> near my husband, and we have never done this. It's sort of sad. I feel like I have really lost out on it. I will say, I read it, and I was like, "This is great for them." I. I did not think that was real, but I I support you. I'm pretty, but like, no, excuse me, coming off of Fifty Shades of Grey, suspension exists. I feel like there it can be done. It can happen. It can be done. It could be done. I have seen it. Yeah, I, I feel like you might need it. to work out more than me. you. Well, I mean, <laughs> but, obviously, I think obviously, that's a big part some, of it. Some serious core strength going on, um, and necessary. <laughs> but, 
<laughs> True story. One time I went on vacation with Eric. This is this is kind of embarrassing, but one time I went on vacation with Eric and I sat down in a hammock and flipped right over the back of it. <laughs> so I know that would happen. I'm not to me. sure that this is my kind of you know al- sexual Olympic work. <laughs> I know that would happen to me, but I would yeah. I feel like I would try to get. I would give it a try. I appreciate it, and it was hot. So fun. Yeah, we were all for it. We were all for it. It was one of those perfect moments in romance where you're like, I I feel like I've never done this, and probably it's past. I'm past my prime, but <laughs> I am very grateful that it exists. It's probably like in terms of like the calisthenics of it. The only thing I've ever really read that like sort of like made me also think like that's wild. I'm not sure if people can really do it. Is there was a Cora Seaton book where um they do it where they're both in handstands? What? And I was like what? he's like a Navy SEAL or something and she's like well, what she but is his penis a Navy SEAL? I don't It was a, I you know what you guys I'm going to figure out what this book is. We're going to put it in show notes and I'm just going to well, tell I mean, you I feel like we should read it. Well, obviously for the for the season i'm pretty sure i just read that scene i do not think the work of romance (laughs) it's doing something it's doing doing some some kind of work sure and i just was like i appreciate this come on nobody has sex while in a handstand both of them are in handstands i'm I'm, doesn't that just sound like a lot of work it does but (laughs) i mean i can see if one is in a handstand but then, no, you know what? I'm going to fight. Listen. You have to be the perfect type for each other in that case. Sure. You got to be like faded mates. Sure. Mm. Or just have really good <laughs> quad strength, you know? I'm trying to think of the weirdest, like the most impressive location for sex I've ever read. I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like paranormal does this sure. pretty well. Sure. Well, But I if mean... you, like, eliminate paranormals. Well, I'm just telling you, it's. Hammock sex might be up. There. Hammock was two. Handstand was was one. <laughs> and well, handstand three is going to be also something that starts with an that H. Is really setting it's unrealistic right, expectations. H. So it's like handstand, hammock, hammock. Horse. horse, horse. Oh, I do. Well done, Sarah. Ooh. And scene. Ooh. I have a whole yeah sure lots of those. Yeah. Oh my God! Right. Can I just say I I need um I know you guys have merch I need a T-shirt that just says Sure, period. That's all I need. <laughs> sure, sure. Jen's sure. <laughs> Laugh every time. I want that. I want that shirt. <laughs> sure. Sure. You know what? Uh, this that's actually probably the one piece of if we did make that a T-shirt or a pin, that's like the one that I actually could also wear in my classroom because I say it all the time. I'm like the kids are like, <laughs> sure. Miss, Miss Reed's romance, they don't call me that. Miss Reed's romance, can I blah, 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 blah? Like, sure. Sure. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about other Friends to Lovers books. So we talked a little bit about how the why the trope works, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, when it does work for us, we talked about unrequited. So why don't – so why don't we talk – why don't we start with unrequited? Because I think the unrequited Friends to Lovers is, like, one of the most emotional oh, God, yes. ways to tell yes. this story. Sure. Yes. Because you're so heartbroken. I it's feel like right. everyone's like, they're going to talk about Naima Simone scoring off the field. And we are, because it is literally mm. – It is. It I mean, is. did we t- we talked about that in season one. It's been a million sure. years. <laughs> I think we talk about it again, because it's amazing. Yes. Tracy. You asked for I it. Did. It's your turn. I did. I did. I I adored um, this book. This this is really really good. Um, it is like we said, unrequited uh, friends to lovers. Tennyson, which I love because, um, as an aside, one of my addresses that I lived uh, at was Lord Tennyson Arch. Is that not huh. crazy? That was an that address. Where where were you? In Virginia Beach. Did you live in a castle? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I loved yeah. really nice. It was, it was a it was a great address, um, but yeah. So Tennyson uh, has is has been friends with Dom for years. They actually met in the foster care system, and which uh, broke my heart. And so um, they grew up together, and he has always wanted to take care of her. And once he made it sort of as a professional athlete, he is a quarterback. Uh, for a football team, he hired her as his assistant 
his personal assistant, and she has been doing that for a few years. And that's the thing with unrequited friends to lovers, because Tennyson is the one who is in love with Dom. And Mm -hmm. as his personal assistant, she has seen the women come and go. And that that's really hard. It's really hard for her. And she's like, you know what? That's enough. Like, I can't do it anymore because eventually he's going to find someone and they're going to get married and he's going to have his life. And my whole life revolves around him. And I just Mm -hmm. can't do that anymore. And so she quits. And this, of course, is the catalyst because he starts to imagine a life without her. And he's like, no, can't have that happen. Um, And so, uh, yeah. So he tries to stop her from quitting and sabotaging all of her efforts. And of course, as he's doing it and talking to his friends about it, he starts to get the picture. He starts to see her the way everyone else sees her. And he realizes that it's more than just um, she's my friend that I want to fuck her too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that book so much because I love that it begins with Tenny breaking. Yeah. The, yeah. the sort of quitting, quitting because I feel like Naima does this usually often in romances it, there it takes the heroine a while to sort of grow like figure out that she wants more right. from the world than she's getting and but I mean Naima starts the book there with this like moment of realization that she has to leave because this love that she has for him is tough. Well, I think it's more than realization. Like the, the plan's already in motion. The last thing is to tell him. Cause that's right. the hardest yeah. thing. Right. right. Yeah. Yes. And that also felt so real to me. This, the, yeah. uh, it's the perfect, my God, we talk all the time as writers about like, well, are we starting in the right mm. place? Is this where mm-hmm. it begins? And like Naima starts that book, like a bullet from a gun. It's really remarkable. And it does this great thing, um, which I love. I, you know, I know it's, you know, not right right now, but I loved, um, like the boss secretary Harlequin present books, you know, and also, you know, cause then like, like someone would get sick and then someone would bring the soup and, you know, (laughs) see them with their guard down. Love those books. And this had that too, the whole, the idea of not only the friends to lovers, but that sort of boss employee sort of relationship. I, I just, it, it just, uh, it ticked everything. I was so, it's so perfect. Yeah. yeah it's I really, really great. loved it. I reread a lot, but I'm often a scene rereader. This is one of the few books I've reread it probably at least five or six times in, in its entirety. Like, you start at the beginning. There's no other place to start. It's so good. I also just want to shout out that this week, as we are recording, Naima has a new book out called Trust Fun Fiancé, which is also a Friends to Lovers romance, which is has a little sprinkling of fake fiancé. Fake (laughs) fiancé. The heroine, uh, Reagan. I mean, this also has one of my favorite tropes in romance, and it's completely ridiculous and actually does not hold up in court. Tracy will confirm this for me, is in order to inherit, you must get married. Oh, God, I love that. I mean, I fucking love it. And what I hate is all these romance lawyers. I hear, I see you on Twitter, romance law, saying like, this is just not, it's just not how it works. This is not, you cannot, this will not hold up in court. And I don't care. I don't, I don't I feel like I that should it. be a class, like romance Romance law. law. Yeah, romance <laughs> law. It should be its own yeah, little except- discipline. Tracy, at the end of every slide, it's like, but no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> romance reasons. Romance, yeah, like, true. You, you can't insist people inherit only if they're, get married to inherit. No one cares. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So here is, so that's this story. It's she inherits, but she has to, um, she has to get married. Sure. To do it. Um, uh, and so, or she sure. Has, yeah. And I'm not even, and sure. so I'm not even mad. <laughs> sure. Whatever. So, uh, Zeke. And so Zeke, the, um, the, her- the hero, uh, you know, decides he's going to do her. Well, you know, they've been friends for a long, long That's time. That's a good friend. 
And he and he, she's also his cousin's best friend. They've known each other their whole lives. Like it's adorable. And they like each other. I mean, that's look, for me, the reason why I've never written a friends to lover story is because like I don't like characters who like each other, which is, you know, I talk to my therapist about it. It's fine. But <laughs> but this is the thing. These two people just love, they really like each other. And she's like, I need to get married to inherit. And he's like, I got you. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yes. That's awesome. Looking forward to that. Category really, I think, does sell the friends to lovers because it's such a like great trope to start with. So well, and you got to move. You got to move fast. So I'm going to tell you about a Reese Ryan I loved called His Until Midnight, and here is my favorite version of the friends to lovers trope, which is, um, she it's similar to Unrequited, I guess. Like in this case, um, the Tessa is the heroine, and she is in love with her best friend, Ryan Bateman, but she is, like, not even going to ever try and get with him. But she, her brother is going to be, like, auctioned off in some bachelor auction, and he gets really sick. He gets food poisoning. And so she offers, she's like, could you make it, like, a bachelor and bachelorette auction, and you can auction me off because I am tired of, like, essentially just, like, being stuck. I'm going to do something really dramatic. And here is my favorite, favorite trope is then this man is like, why do I have feelings about my best friend with another man? <laughs> I don't, I'm, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't care for this. And so she's really worried that no one's going to bid on her. And so she goes to Ryan and she's like, look, I'm a little embarrassed. I'm the only bachelorette. Like, what if nobody bids on me? That'd be horrifying. So can I, like, if, if no one bids on me, will you bid on me? And now he's uh, like, okay, but what if I want to bid on you? Because I want to bid on you. Ooh. Uh, oh, I love it. God, it's. I love a bachelor auction, a bachelorette auction. I'm for yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's, no, no, it's a nonsense plot point. But <laughs> sure, I love it. same. No one cares. No one cares. <laughs> okay, so I love a bachelor auction so much. But this brings me to so it's hard out here to find something that's fun to watch. And Eric and I are watching this show on Apple TV called Ted Lasso, which is the premise is uh, Jen, your brother will love this. The premise <laughs> is a football coach from like a, a college, a low level college football coach gets hired by a British soccer team, a British football coach to be the head coach. Um, because of this is a classic romance <laughs> setup to the um, the owner of this British soccer team um, divorces, has a like messy divorce with his wife and she wins the soccer team in the divorce. And then it is the only thing that he loves. And so she is like, I'm going to run this soccer team into the ground. So I'm going to hire this dummy Perfect. from Kansas or wherever. Um, who doesn't know anything about soccer. Like, he's literally... It's very charming. It's very funny. It's a fish-out-of-water story, if you love those. And I think Jason Sudeikis is adorable and also very funny. And so... Um, and he plays this kind of, like, aw shucksy football coach who gets hired to... to <laughs> to coach a, a, a British football team. And he's like on the plane going on the first episode, reading a book called um, Coaching Soccer for Dummies. <laughs> like it's incredibly funny. But all of this is to say is that about four episodes in, there is a bachelor auction where all the like hot soccer players are being auctioned off. And in the moment there there's bidding that goes on that shows like who is really, which who's really into whom during all of this and it's so sexy and cool and a very very like i love an auction story oh yeah and i know that they're problematic of course i know i'm not supposed to pay for men but like why not romance reasons sometimes or women in this case sure. it's for, for charity it. for it's it. for charity i'm just saying it's good it's good business reese ryan is never gonna steer you wrong no no Great job, Reese. I like it. <laughs> well, so wait, I want to go to, un, um, I want to do mine, which is historical. Yeah, we should do some historicals. Because um, I feel like, and you know, I feel like uh, historical does this really well often. And I think the person who does historical friends to lovers, probably best of anybody, is Tessa Dare. 
And maybe the reason why I feel that way is because Tessa's, I always feel like in romance, your first book by a writer is like the one that sticks with you forever in some way. And I read Tessa Dare's Goddess of the Hunt, which is her debut, like right when it came out in 2009. Um, And it is, it's just a beautiful Regency debut. And the heroine has, is, she has uh, an, it is an unrequited love story that kind of goes south in that she has decided that she's going to set her sights for one man in her life who she's loved her whole life. Um, and they've been, you know, they've been friends. It's her brother's best friend. And um, instead, and so to, in order to do this, she needs ki- practice kissing. Obviously. <laughs> Educational kissing. It happens. <laughs> So, so, Tracy, wait, she, this didn't happen to you in college? <laughs> so instead, so Lucy has this like obsession with this one person and she's going to, she sets her sights on him. She's loved him for like a decade. And, but there happens to be this other friend, this other like family friend, and he seems fine. And she goes to him and is like, I need educational kissing to seduce this other person. Oh, that's a good one too. Mm. Yeah, sure. And he's like, "What?" No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and but he, of course, he's like he, and he's older than her too. He's for those of you who like an older hero, he's like ten years older uh-huh. than she is. And um, and so he's like, oh, "Okay, fine," <laughs> because I guess fine romance oh. reasons. And so they have these, like, really intense, like, educational kissing scenes. And then, um, ultimately, of course, these two people fall, these friends fall in love. And, like, that poor other guy, I don't even know what happens. I think he gets the next book. Sure. Fine. Okay. Tracy, you also, we, I know we're, like, getting to time, but you and I also had some other historical. So let's mention them, but, like, because I think... I think it's nice to see these in historicals. So do you want to go and I can finish? Yes, I, okay. I agree. Um, I would like to shout out um, Eva Lee's My Fake Rake, uh, which is a historical friends to lovers that um, I enjoyed thoroughly. Um, <laughs> what's really funny is the heroine um, is Grace and the hero is Sebastian. And they're both just, look, in everyday, like, contemporary parlance they're nerds right (laughs) they are they are naturalists and they um their friendship sort of grew while they were both at like libraries talking about books and things and um as you know as historical author and reader uh the heroine's father is an earl and i believe he gets really sick and so he's like telling his daughter, I want you to marry because obviously, um, with all the rules and things, you know, she won't inherit anything and he wants her to be taken care of. He doesn't want to have to worry about her if he passes away. So there's a guy that she has her eye on, but he only sees her as a friend. And so Sebastian says, you know, what people seem to value or like others will follow. And so if you become someone that people um, think highly of, this guy will value and covet you. And so uh, they take that to mean that he, Sebastian, her nerdy friend, um, needs to value and covet uh, Grace. And if he does, then surely this other guy will. But Sebastian is a nerd. And so now we get a little <laughs> bit of ugly duckling trope in here where she tries to turn him into a rake so that he will, you know, uh, make her look great. And then the other guy will see her as someone that he can marry. And so they spend a lot of time together. They do a lot of things and um, it doesn't work. But <laughs> It's delightful. And the thing that's funny is that Sebastian, this other guy in the beginning, it's like Battle of the Ashleys. Like, which one is, like, the the <laughs> yeah, tepid mayonnaise-type guy. But <laughs> Sebastian ends up turning out to be incredible. Loved him so much. So, yeah, my, my fake rape. That's awesome. Oh, I love that. Okay. I love Eva. I think she's so good. Yeah. So everybody knows I love KJ Charles. So mm. I want to talk about an unseen attraction. 
um, which has actually a pretty big mystery plot into it, but it's a really... God, K.J. Charles' writing is so good. And so this one is... um, Two men, Clem Tallyfer is essentially the, like the, I don't know, the landlord. He like manages or runs a boarding house. And one of his tenants is named um, Rowley Green. And Rowley is a quiet man who works next door. And it's really funny because it's unclear at the beginning what exactly his work is. But everybody is like, "Mm, I'm not sure. This work seems real creepy. And it turns out that he's a taxidermist. Although in the parlance (laughs) of this Victorian novel, it's like he's a, wait, I wrote it down because I was like, oh, he's a, wait, oh, oh, a preserver. And you know, you guys, listen, I got to tell you, I'm not going to lie to you. That's real fossils for me, but like to like (laughs) the millionth degree. So there's like a lot of talks of taxidermy, which I mostly skipped or skimmed. But it what is what's amazing about this is Clem is clearly like neurodivergent in some way. And yet he he. And the writing is enough to sort of really subtly tell you, like, differences in the way they think. You know, Rowley just thinks faster and about things in a different way. And Clem, you know, but Clem is so, he knows himself really well. And there's this amazing part where he's like, I think that I like him. And... And he he says he's going to go to, like, the local, like, essentially gay bar <laughs> and, like, where he hangs out and sort of, like, get some advice. And then you you never see that scene, but then it's really wonderful. Um, Rowley takes him out to see this tra- these trapeze artists, which Clem had been really interested in, but he gets really overwhelmed in crowds. And Rowley takes him up to, like, a box. Like, you know, it's, like, essentially, like, the nosebleed seat so they can be away from the crowds. And... And Clem looks at him and he was like, so my friends are want me to tell you that I need very direct, I'm, I'm not going to understand anything subtle and you need to be very direct. Do you know what that means? And it's just this oh. amazing moment between them. But the other thing that's like really, so back to the taxidermy stuff, which I didn't think would move me, but it does. There's this part where they're like talking about like some scenes that Rowley's making and Clem says to him that um, ordinary birds are beautiful too. And it's like he's talking about them and you guys. But then they solve a mystery and it's like really dramatic. So this book has everything. <laughs> and then they solve a sure, mystery. Sure, as one does. It's yeah. terrific. Yeah. I just think KJ Charles can do anything. And I really, uh, really love this book. Yes. So. Um, I also feel like we can't really talk about friends to lovers without talking about Christina. Lauren. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Um, because they are Christina and Lauren seem to have the lock on how to do this differently every time. And I say that because Tracy has a different Christina Lauren book than I do um, this week. My book is Josh and Hazel's guide to not dating, which is this like very funny um, very, the, here are two characters who have known each other for a long, long time since college. Um, Josh is Hazel's best friend's brother. Um, and they are, um, really charming together, but he's had, she's come off a bad break. She's like this kind of whirling dervish of a character. She's all sun sunshine. She's sort of a little bit quirky and he's sort of kind of put together and normal. <laughs> for lack of a better term. Um, And the two of them together are hilariously funny, but she's coming off of kind of a not great breakup and he's coming off of a really not great breakup and they decide they're going to set each other up on blind dates together. So like they will go on double dates and, you know, set each other up. So it's like that scene in When Harry Met Sally. Restaurants are to people in the 80s with theater was to people in the 60s. I read that in a magazine. I wrote that. Get out of here. <laughs> no, I did. I wrote that. I've never quoted anything from a magazine in my life. That's amazing. Don't you think that's amazing? And you wrote it? I also wrote Pastor's Kishvieti. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, there's a series of sort of terrible blind dates during which they sort of realize over the course of these dates that, like, surely it couldn't be that they actually are attracted to each other, right? And what I love about this book is that um, 
Christina and Lauren really kind of take the finger on this because, like, when they actually do end up having sex together, having sex with each other, like, it is not, it is weird after instead of great, you know? And I think that that's a, that's a really interesting way of, of sort of playing that as well. But, of course, they're wild about each other. Um, and I really just think Christina and Lauren do it so well. Yeah, they really, you know, if you ask Christina Lauren if they've ever written Friends to Lovers before, they'd be like, clearly you've never read our books. Goodbye, bitches. (laughs) I know. (laughs) But Tracy, you have a different one. You have one of their originals. Yes, I I was, I picked Beautiful Player. Um, I love that series so much, especially Beautiful Bastard. Oh my God, the tingles, the tingles. Um, Listen, I love that book and I have been saving is it Beautiful Stranger, the second one? Because oh one day, God. Sarah's yeah. going to let me do a voyeurism interstitial, and I've been saving it. I've been saving it, everybody. Oh, Wait. my God. I, it's not like I've been like, you can't, You may not do a voyeurism. <laughs> I know. We text 83 <laughs> times a day. I, you could say It's that. true. I just feel like it would be too much. <laughs> like, God, like, let me just put my it out there for everybody. <laughs> I know. You love it. You love outdoor. It's so hot. watching sex. So hot. It, yeah. <laughs> anyway, go on. Well, Tracy. sorry. <laughs> I mean, no, it's it's yeah. It's the they're earlier. It's classic. It's so hot. Um, and like you said, they do it in different ways. So they there's always like some another trope or something thrown in there. And so even though I know this is best friend brother older brother's best friend, um, I also felt like it was friends to lovers because she was friends with the guy Will. Like they met up mm-hmm. to go running and have coffee and all this sort of stuff. So I kind of felt there was a little bit of friends to lovers in it too. But essentially the um heroine Hannah, um, her brother is like, look, you know, you're doing, you're doing too much. You're all into your school. You don't have a social life. You need to get out there and meet people, blah, blah, blah. And, um, so Hannah decides that she's going to do that, but she's needs a little bit of help in that department. And so she turns to Will, you know, her brother's uh, best friend, uh, as one does, to help her (laughs) um, get out and about. And Will says, uh, challenge accepted, and uh, he helps her um, in lots of different ways. And in the end, he decides that all the work he put in, he wants to keep for himself. He does not want her to go out and about. And it's, it's so sexy and wonderful and everything that you expect from Christina Lauren. So yeah, that's the one that I picked. Well, that's a good solid TBR. You guys, I think that, I think we can keep you busy for a while. I'm very impressed with us. (laughs) (laughs) We did. We look at us. We did great. (laughs) Um, Tracy, we love you and we wish that you would come on more now that we have figured out how to well, do that. Well, now that I just have to sit here and talk, that's right. probably, yeah. Last sure. time I had <laughs> Keep to it do simple. things and it just did not work out. But So yeah. Tracy's book is Like Lovers Do. It is in stores now and brand new. So you can, you know, show off to your friends that you're reading a brand mm-hmm. new book. Um, and you're, you can talk about what's coming next. No. Right? Okay. That's fine. That's fine. (laughs) I also have a contemporary out. I accidentally wrote a contemporary short story uh, during quarantine. I was supposed to be in England, and I couldn't go there, so instead I wrote about England. Uh, It's in an anthology called Naughty Brits. It's a secret duke, though, so is it really that different than everything else that I've ever written? Probably not. Which means it'll be great. Um, It's going to be great, guys. It's going to be great. Thank you. Um, It's a Secret Duke story. It's coming out uh, September 15th, which is next week. Yep. um, Which is very exciting. Um, And it's with Sophie Jordan and Louisa Edwards, who is back to writing after taking some time off, and Sierra Simone and Tessa Gratton. And, uh, yeah, if you're into anthologies that have, you know, sexy British men, that is. Gross. No. Tracy only does Irish men. Yes, Tracy. She's <laughs> <does>. very particular. <laughs> this is Faded Mates, everyone. You can buy swag and find buttons and clothes on our website at fadedmates.net. There are transcripts there. There is all the music from the episodes is there. Go check out the website. There's lots of cool. 
cool stuff there. Um, we are produced by Eric Mortensen. Next week, we'll be reading Millivane's A Heart of Blood and Ashes, and you're all going to want to read it with us, so get to it. Yeah, get to it. It's a long one. Thanks, Tracy, for joining us. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks, ladies. I had a ball. Hi, Faded Mates. I'm actually not going to share my name because I'm going to share some pretty personal um, details of my life. But I am a 30-something stay-at-home mom to three little ones. I have one in kinder, one in preschool, and one learning to walk. And I didn't even discover romance until about five years ago. I was pregnant with my second child. I was really physically uncomfortable and tired and sad. I, my first child had been born via um, an unplanned cesarean. It was a traumatic experience. And I was planning for a VBAC the second time, but I was really, I had a lot of fear. I just didn't see how, um, how it was going to happen. And unbeknownst to me at the time, we were also living through um, what would ultimately be revealed as the height of my husband's very secret addiction struggle. Um, and so basically, as an escape, I, I discovered romance novels in the Kindle store. Um, and they did. They provided this distraction and this, they brought joy to my life. But the book that blooded me was the third book in Lisa Cletus' Wallflower series, Devil in Winter. I think the characters are actually revealed after the prologue of the second book, Lillian Westcliff's book, but I actually gasped out loud when I realized it was going to be Evie and St. Vincent. I, it was just such a juicy surprise, like ripe with potential. I bought it right away. I stayed up the whole night reading it, um, which is not something you should do when you are pregnant and you have a toddler. Um, but I don't think, in hindsight, I think I just was so desperate for an example of a woman that was truly fearless. She Evie was willing to do anything to get what she needed and what she wanted. And it was an inspiration that I needed in that moment. And, of course, the example of this man that's, like, flawed and um, ultimately learns to be his best self and love her in a whole and complete way is, is wonderful as well. It's such a well-written book, and um, I still read it once or twice a year. Um, I went on to have a VBAC, and then um, eventually when my husband's addiction came to light, I and we were in the first, like, really brutal stages of his recovery, um, that book in particular and romance in general were able to offer me a kind of support that I, I couldn't find anywhere else. And I'm so grateful for the genre in general. It made me an avid reader again as an adult. And that book in particular, I actually, we ended up having another baby. We saved our marriage. And um, I wanted to name her Evie. <laughs> and it's not what we decided, but it did make it to the final list. <laughs>